Welcome to Meals for Maturity, Bible talks to help you mature as a follower of Jesus, by Pastor Dom Fiocco. Welcome to another Bible talk from Meals for Maturity. Now, recently I preached through the book of Amos at Gungahlin Bible Church, and I was struck by this verse in Amos chapter 8, verse 11. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord God, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. And my prayer is that we would actually never know this kind of famine, a famine of hearing, of not hearing from God's word. And so part of my motivation for putting these Meals for Maturity Bible Talks together is really to enable us to hear more from the voice of God from Holy Scripture And I hope and pray you are finding these Bible talks helpful uh, for feeding your soul and for ultimately for God's glory in Christ as you follow him. Today we continue our series in Esther, God Behind the Scene, the ordinary, extraordinary outworkings of God behind the scene. Uh, Remember Esther chapter 4. Haman is Prime Minister, the second in charge across the kingdom of Persia under King Xerxes. And we learn that Haman is a descendant of Agag, king of the Amalekites, who were the ancient enemies of God's people. You can read about that in Numbers 24 and in 1 Samuel chapter 15. And back in chapter 3, verse 7 to 9 of Esther, Haman has cast a lot, he's rolled a dice to determine the day that the Jews would be wiped out, would be effectively exterminated. But if you know your Old Testament story, you would know that the Lord God is the great promise-keeping God, despite the evils thrown against God's people at various times across various Old Testament books, and in spite of the evils that come directly from God's people across much of the Old Testament storyline. God is the great promise keeper. And perhaps Mordecai's words to Esther in chapter 4 hint at him knowing that God will somehow honour his promises that he's made to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, to King David in 2 Samuel 7. Remember Esther chapter 4 verse 14? For Esther, Mordecai says, if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have come into the kingdom for such a time as this. Despite the seemingly invisible faith of Mordecai in this story so far, are his words reflecting some sort of trust that God is actually going to honour his eternal covenant and that he will preserve his people. Well, let's pick things up at at Esther chapter 5 as Jen reads again to us. Chapter 5. On the third day, Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the king's palace in front of the king's quarters while the king was sitting on his royal throne inside the throne room opposite the entrance to the palace. And when the king saw Queen Esther standing in the court, she won favour in his sight, and he held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. Then Esther approached and touched the tip of the scepter. And the king said to her, What is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? It shall be given you even to the half of my kingdom. And Esther said, If it please the king, let the king and Haman come today to a feast that I have prepared for the king. Then the king said, Bring Haman quickly, so that we may do as Esther has asked. So the king and Haman came to the feast that Esther had prepared. And as they were drinking wine after the feast, the king said to Esther, What is your wish? It shall be granted you. And what is your request? 
Even to the half of my kingdom it shall be fulfilled. Then Esther answered, My wish and my request is, if I have found favour in the sight of the king, and if it please the king to grant my wish and fulfil my request, let the king and Haman come to the feast that I will prepare for them, and tomorrow I will do as the king has said. And Haman went out that day joyful and glad of heart. But when Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gate, that he neither rose nor trembled before him, he was filled with wrath against Mordecai. Nevertheless, Haman restrained himself and went home, and he sent and brought his friends and his wife Zeresh. And Haman recounted to them the splendor of his riches, the number of his sons, all the promotions with which the king had honored him, and how he had advanced him above the officials and the servants of the king. Then Haman said, Even Queen Esther let no one but me come with the king to a feast she prepared. And tomorrow also I am invited by her together with the king. Yet all this is worth nothing to me, so long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. Then his wife Zeresh and all his friends said to him, Let a gallows fifty cubits high be made, and in the morning tell the king to have Mordecai hanged upon it. Then go joyfully with the king to the feast. This idea pleased Haman and he had the gallows made. So the curtain opens on chapter 5 and we see some battle plans uh, being put in place. Chapter 5 is divided into two sections and there's lots of humour and irony in this story. Part 1 verses 1 to 8 gives us the battle plan of the Jew, Queen Esther, and then part 2 verses 9 to 14 presents to us the battle plan of the enemy of the Jews, Haman, the Prime Minister. And there's also lots of, lots of feasting happening in the book of Esther, and chapter 5 gives us a couple more grand parties. Queen Esther dresses herself in royal attire, and she risks her life in coming before the king uninvited. Remember what happened in chapter 1 to the last queen who actually didn't come before the king. And to Esther's relief, and to us as readers, she, at this point, is accepted with open arms and the king seems to be having a good day. Uh, could it be that the unseen hand of God is bringing favour once more upon Esther? Well, Esther knows the way to a man's heart is via his stomach. So before she presents her request to the king, she offers to throw a party for him and the prime minister. The king, realising he probably hasn't had a good drop of wine or a beefy casserole for at least a few hours, thinks this is a marvellous idea. So the banquet begins. After a good feed and as more wine is being poured, there seems to be no alcohol shortage here in Susha, uh, verse, verse 6, King Xerxes asks Esther, Queen Esther, what is your request? By the way, this is the first time in the book that she is addressed using her full title, Queen Esther. It seems that after chapter 4, Esther is certainly behaving and making decisions like a, like a queen. Uh, she is here taking the initiative, taking full reign of her reign. If she perishes, she will perish, is already declared in chapter 4, verse 16. Queen Esther, what is your request? Whatever it is, you can have up to half of my kingdom. Now, the king isn't being literal here, of course. He's simply using, using an expression uh, set across the royal, royal courts to convey, you know, I'm in a pretty good mood and the, the king's feeling rather generous, so ask away, my dear. We hear the same expression centuries later in King Herod's court. 
You might remember after the erotic dance by his niece. Remember the tragic John the Baptist beheading? Well, what is it that you want, my dear, after a dance like that? I'll give you even up to half of the kingdom. But for some reason, here is Esther and she delays her request, which is pretty bold considering the last time we read of a king drinking wine, well, his former queen didn't last too long. But here, Esther thinks it's been a good day all round and for some reason, she decides to chance her arm once more before making the request concerning the fate of her people. So she offers to put on another party, another feast, part two, even better tomorrow. So Esther's battle plan is set in motion and the author leaves her and brings our focus now upon the Prime Minister. But before we look at Haman's battle plan, I want you to take note of chapter 5 verse 1 where we read, On the third day Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the king's palace. On the third day after the fasting takes place in her ladies' court and among the Jews in Susa that Mordecai has contacted, after the third day, Esther puts on her royal party. Now this phrase, the third day, actually turns up a number of times across the Old Testament. So in Genesis chapter 22, verse 4, we read, On the third day, Abraham looked up and he saw the place in the distance. This is referring to the, uh, the episode, the sacrifice of his only son Isaac. And it's on the third day that God provides a substitute ram in his place for his only son. And then in Exodus chapter 19, this is right before Moses receives the Ten Commandments, God makes it clear that on the third day, he will come down to Mount Zion to be uh, Mount Zion, Sinai rather to be with his people. Like Abraham in Genesis 22, here is a test for Israel. They are to prepare themselves and be ready on the third day as God makes his covenant with his people at Sinai. Now across Exodus 19, across this chapter, the, th the phrase third day actually turns up four times, almost to say, don't miss this important event about to happen on this significant day. Then you go to something like 2 Kings chapter 20 verse 5, when Hezekiah is struck down with illness and pleads with God for his life to be extended. You might know that story. Uh, and then we read, well, go back and tell Hezekiah, the ruler of my people, this is what the Lord, the God of your father says, I have heard your prayer and seen your tears and I will heal you. On the third day from now, you will go up to the temple of the Lord. So deliverance comes for Hezekiah. Healing comes on the third day. And then famously in Jonah chapter 1 verse 17, we read, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights, which clearly even the Lord Jesus wants us to notice because he refers to this three-day, three-night episode and tells us this is pointing us to his resurrection on the third day. A final reference, Hosea chapter 6, verses 1 to 2, we read, Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us that he may heal us. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up that we may live before him. 
It's a familiar pattern we've seen across the Old Testament that in Hosea's time, God's people can return to him and by returning to their covenant-keeping God, he will renew, he will revive their life and a resurrection, a raising up of his people will come about on the third day. Now, what I want to highlight here from this third day phrase in Esther chapter 5, uh, verse 1, is not to play word games with you and just because you read the words third day in the Old Testament, we're meant to think, oh, that must refer to Jesus or maybe that's talking about the Christian rock band, the third day. No, no. What I want us to see is that all through the Old Testament, there, there are typologies happening. That is a type of something. There is a pattern reoccurring that ultimately points beyond itself. And I think we can take our cues from Jesus and the New Testament authors in drawing together here a consistent third day pattern or this typology or a theology from the Old Testament into the New Testament. You see, it's on the third day that something special happens across all these Old Testament references. It seems this third day designed by God across the Old Testament is God showing us that he is the one who will restore, resurrect even, his covenant people, and he will do all he can to revive their relationship with him. Finally, remember what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, For I delivered to you of a first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. The Apostle Paul is stressing to us that the prophecy of Jesus being raised on the third day was written in accordance with the Old Testament scriptures. And I'm convinced that many of these Old Testament passages that we've looked at, including Esther chapter 5 verse 1, is helping us see the typologies foreshadowing or previewing to us, if you like, a third day resurrection event will ultimately happen at that first Easter. Esther chapter 5 verse 1 is pointing us beyond a mere number for a day of a fast to end and a feast to start. I think it's pointing us to see that on the third day, deliverance from death and destruction is starting to happen in this faraway kingdom of Persia. 480 odd years before the Lord Jesus walks from an empty tomb, on the third day. It was just a, a little detour uh, along the way about the third day. Back to Esther chapter 5 and verse 9. Haman's happiness, and here we read, joyful and glad of heart and a full belly, Haman's happiness turns to terror as he ventures home from the, king, uh, the queen's first party. Once more he's, confused, he's confronted rather with that annoying little man called Mordecai the Jew the one person in the whole kingdom who refuses to bow to him. And we read, Haman was filled with wrath against Mordecai. So Haman goes home, has a bit of a whinge to his wife and some mates about this annoying little Jew. Haman is full of pride of his achievements and his status and his wealth. We might say Haman's full of himself. And here he's absolutely thrilled that the queen thinks the world of him to put on another banquet for him and for the king. 
But ringing in his ears is Mick Jagger singing, I can't get no satisfaction. I try and I try, but I can't get no satisfaction. Heyman can't find any true satisfaction until he gets rid of that insolent Jew, that annoying Jew called Mordecai. And so his wife and his mates give him a brilliant battle plan. Haman, why don't you have some gallows built and in the morning ask the king if you can hang Mordecai on them and then go to dinner with the king and the queen and you'll have a really great night. Two feasts in two days. Eat, drink and be merry for Mordecai will be no more. And so perhaps in great humour and irony, the author tells us that Haman builds a 70-foot high hanging apparatus, 70 feet in the, in the air, perhaps to match the height of Haman's pride and arrogance and ego. You might know Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Well, at the end of the chapter, again, in the suspense of all that's happening, we are left hanging. Pardon the pun. Uh, the Jewish characters in this drama are really living on a knife's edge. Esther is testing the patience of a Gentile king. Mordecai is testing the pride of a Gentile prime minister. What will happen to Esther's plan to bring her request before the king? Is she too late? What will happen to the irreversible law of the Medes and Persians to annihilate Esther's race. It seems the survival of the Jews is dependent upon one woman and one not really experienced in politics or Persian leadership, it seems. What will save Mordecai the Jew from certain death in the morning? Well, nothing short of a miracle, it seems. Now, across chapter 5 of Esther, we read of the battle plans being drawn up. Esther and Haman's plans are actually diametrically opposed to each other. Both parties have no idea what the other is planning. And sometimes, you know, life is just like that for you and me, isn't it? I mean, we might be busy making plans, but so is someone else. And those plans don't quite match ours. It might be planning something in your workplace, but then your hierarchy has different ideas. And before long, your work contract has actually been terminated. Or you might be busy planning retirement, but your doctor is planning for you to do more and more scans to work out why you are feeling so rotten. Or you might be planning a family. You might be planning a great holiday, the purchase of a house or a business. You might be planning further study or starting a relationship, or moving overseas, or interstate, but somehow those plans, your plans, just hit a brick wall, and that wall comes sometimes tumbling down. We haven't quite seen it across the story of Esther, but soon we will, that behind the scenes, God is sovereign. He's in total charge of his plan and his purposes. And so the call of Holy Scripture is for us as God's people in Christ is to actually get on with life and make plans, wise plans, godly plans, prayerful plans, but then rest your head at night uh, in the wisdom that God's plan and his providential watch is over your life and mine. And chapter 6 of Esther, next time round, will show us 
one of the great chapters across the Bible of the unseen God working out his purposes and his plans amidst the ups and downs of ordinary everyday life, whether that's in a Persian palace or a humble home. You know, life can be hard. Uh, It can be difficult at times. Difficult times might come along for you. Pain and suffering can't be avoided this side of heaven. And sometimes things don't make sense. But let the story of Esther encourage you that God is always present, that he is always watching over you, and is, he is actually wise and loving in his plans for you in Christ Jesus. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that many centuries later, after Esther chapter 5, we can actually rest safe and sound in the knowledge that for Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Amen.